Let's face it, B2B sales is in trouble. Blast emails, cold calling and irrelevant messages, not to mention an economy causing uncertainty to spike, is creating a canyon-sized divide between buyers and sellers alike. The answer? Deep sales. Today, organizations that adopt deep sales strategies and technologies are setting themselves up for long-term success with an approach that sets their sellers up to be seen as trusted strategic advisors by the buyers they serve. We at the world's largest professional network are sitting down with some of the most innovative sales voices today to discuss what it means to bring deep sales into an enterprise organization. Let's dive in with our host, Rob Humphrey. When your customers got tons of information, they want to put you in a box and force you to compete against others on price and terms and conditions. It's They're not looking for you to ask them what's keeping them up at night. They want you to tell them what should be keeping them up at night. And to me, that's a much deeper sales approach, right? And so when, when I heard that term, I was, I was thinking about that. That is a very deep way to approach the sales conversation. Look, we've got an incredible guest today. This guy's a Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Challenger Sale and most recently, The Jolt Effect. A frequent contributor to HBR, he's a beer over wine guy, and he's held several senior roles at the likes of Corn Ferry Hay Group and CEB. Today, he stands as the Chief Product and Research Officer at the Austin-based AI venture, Tether. He's a well of knowledge on all things selling. Yes, that's right, the one and only Matt Dixon. Matt, I know that you went through some 2.5 million sales calls using your machine learning and AI tool at Tether. What was your biggest surprise? I listened to those personally, Rob. There was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was you know, it, it was interesting. We had this uh, experience back in March of 2020, right? We all go into lockdown and you remember um, uh, being in, in sales that the world of sales got turned on its ear and like in a heartbeat. We were doing more virtual interactions with our customers before the pandemic. But when lockdown hit, every interaction went virtual. They were happening on on uh, Google Meet and, and Teams and WebEx and, and Zoom and so on and so forth. And so we went out to a, a few dozen companies and we said, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to study sales in a way it's never been studied before. So we collected uh, a few do- from a few dozen companies, two and a half million sales calls, study them at scale. Now, the questions we we're trying to answer were twofold. We'd, we'd gotten really interested in this problem that is kind of an evergreen problem in sales, which is the no decision loss. Like when that customer says they want to buy from you, they say the status quo is no longer acceptable. You've been selected as the vendor of choice. It's a top priority. And then they kind of disengage, they ghost you. We're constantly floating the email to the top of their inbox. And and you can't figure out why. It's a, it, I jokingly tell people it reminds me of my dating life in college where the, the relationship was over. It just took me like two months to figure it out. Yeah. And so, your sales manager's um, like, what's so going we, on? Did you, did you email them? <laughs> did you get back to them and offer them a discount or whatever it may be? The questions we asked of this data set and what we targeted that machine learning platform toward were two questions. One is, what possesses customers to make no decision, especially those customers who commit to moving forward and say they're in, say they want to work with us, say this is a top priority. Why would they waste so much of our time? But more importantly, why would they waste so much of their own time uh, doing something like that? And some of these sales, I mean, you know, these these sales cycles can be months, in some industries, years, and they, they eat up all their own time only to do nothing. And then the more important question, what are the best salespeople do to avoid that? So I didn't answer your question at all, but <laughs> the, here's the surprising things we found. We pulled this data 
that the no decision loss rate for the average salesperson is 40 to 60% of their qualified pipeline. So think about that. These are customers who, you know, they go through POCs and pilots, they do reference calls, they they pull in all their corporate departments, legal procurement, finance, you know, all the sales prevention departments. They pull them all in, uh, they they eat up a lot of our time, a lot of their own time. And then they just kind of disengage. They pull the plug, they ghost us. So that's a huge productivity loss for the average seller. Now, the the big surprise uh, was, you know, we had always told salespeople, look, when that customer starts to, when the deal starts to feel like it's slipping through your fingers, the customer starts to hesitate and get cold feet. The key to getting them to move forward is to dial up the FOMO. And the reason you do that is because the customer is still in love with their status quo. Or maybe they don't love it, but they believe it's good enough, right? Or they don't believe your solution is a big enough difference from what they do today. Or maybe it's just not a top priority in their business. So we we do is we go back and we try to reconvince them of how awesome life is going to be if they said yes to us and bought our solution. Or we try to make them squirm, right? We dial up the FUD. You know, all our competitors are using our solution and they're leaving you in the dust and you're going to be left with this terrible status quo and these problems won't fix themselves. So we try to create that burning platform. And when that stuff doesn't work, we we hang that 10% discount in front of them that's only good this quarter, right? So, but these are all FOMO tactics, right? We're trying to get the, because we know our customer hates to lose. We know they, they don't like to lose and that can be a powerful motivator. And the status quo has a very powerful grip on our customer's mind. Um, now, th- it didn't surprise us to find in the data that when customers, when the deal starts to slip and customers start to hesitate and waffle and waver, reps disproportionately go back and they just hammer the status quo by dialing up the FOMO. But the part that did surprise us was this, is that 84% of the time, those techniques actually don't just not work, they actively make the situation worse, not better. So we are our own worst enemies. We're actually increasing the likelihood the deal will be lost to no decision. This was a huge head snapper for us. So these these average reps are just taking this single nail and just pounding it constantly and getting nowhere 84% of the time. No pun intended. You hit the nail on the head here. So here's the issue is that what we have told reps that in sales, your biggest and only, arguably your only competitor is the customer status quo. Right. And, and again, I don't want to make light of that. That is a big enemy in sales. If you don't convince a customer to change, you're not selling anything. But what we found was that no decision losses are actually driven by two different things. The first reason a customer makes no decision is actually because they prefer their status quo. They believe what they're doing today is good enough. But that was only one possible reason a deal could be lost and no decision. It turns out there's a second reason. It was the customer's own indecisiveness, which stems from their fear of failure, which has nothing to do with their preference or even their feelings about the status quo. It's a totally different effect. And here's the rub, is that when you do the math, you find out it's fear of failure that is actually the bigger driver of no decision losses. And so when you said before, we've taught, is it absolutely true? We've taught salespeople that every hesitant customer is a nail. And this is the FOMO is your hammer and you just go to town. But when you're dealing with a customer who is convinced that the status quo stinks, is convinced that you are the partner to work with to make things better, is convinced is a huge priority for their business and for their team and for them personally, they're convinced. Um, but instead, they're worried not about missing out. They're worried about messing up. Then going out and trying to use that FOMO playbook Actually, it doesn't just ring hollow. It makes things worse because you're using scare taxes, tactics to sell to somebody who's already afraid. But again, they're not afraid of the FOMO. They're afraid of the FOMU, the fear of messing up. So that is a shift from I'm trying to sell you something 
to I'm trying to help you make a great decision for you and for your team and for your organization. And that, I think, really is the crux of when you think about like the, the relationship and how our customers say, like, boy, I have a great relationship with my salesperson from that company. I think if you ask them to define it, they would say, that person, I know they're a salesperson, but it seems like the thing they only care about is getting me to the right decision. In fact, the person's, this person's brutally honest with me. They tell me stuff I shouldn't buy, even stuff from that their own company yeah. sells, right? They tell us where their competitors are actually better than they are. They, they're a great steward of my time, my budget, my resources, and they instill a lot of confidence. I know I can rely on them for an unvarnished, honest opinion. That's the core, I think, in the customer's mind of a great relationship. I mean, it's, it's a struggle. Um, sales leaders, more specifically, are also struggling, right? They're like, I need to coach people. But really what we're talking about is simple. It's You could say trusted advisor, but we're trying to be friends with these folks, right? Rob, I, the other thing I would add, I've heard a sales leader say this the other day, is that their best salespeople, they use that terminology as well. And what they try to envision is it's not the customer sitting on the other side of the table, it's my best friend. And what would you tell your best friend? Would you tell them the stuff about your product that actually isn't ready for prime time and doesn't really work? Would you tell them what they should really expect? Would you guide them on like, you know what? You don't need the premium version. The basic version is fine. You know what? I'd love to sell you the million dollar solution. That would make my year. I'd go to Cancun. I'd be in President's Club. It'd be wonderful. My name would be in lights. But I actually think we should start a little bit smaller. Less pressure on you. Easier to get it done. Let's prove it out. Let's just knock it out really quick. Rolling Stones or Beatles? Oh, gosh. Um, I go stones, but I, Perfect. but I, that may be an unpopular selection. Beer or wine? Uh, I, beer, but my waistline says okay. wine. So, <laughs> but, so, but I, I'm a beer guy. I love craft Matt, beer. <laughs> average performers or top performers? Oh boy. I love, I love them all. And you know what? Here's the thing. I love learning from the top performers and I love talking to um, uh, average performers about what they can learn to help up their performances. I'd like to see them be top performers as well. So listen, I also understand that you've been involved in the early stages of fleshing out the deep sales concept. And some of our uh, worked with some of our LinkedIn sales solutions leaders. So can you tell me a little bit more about your take on the approach? And in, in particular, the up leveling of your sellers to shift the performance curve. When I first heard about this idea of, of deep sales, it, it spoke to me because I think there's a there's a lot in that. And I think if I reflect back on on the research we've done, you know, if you think about challengers, you know, challengers understand what what you know. Look, sales today, we we're way beyond the days of the talking brochure salesperson, and you know, we're also beyond the days of the salesperson comes in and asks, "What's keeping you up at night?" What these folks figured out, and we, look, we didn't invent this. It's what the best salespeople figured out on their own is when your customers got tons of information, they want to put you in a box and force you to compete against others on price and terms and conditions. It's They're not looking for you to ask them what's keeping them up at night. They want you to tell them what should be keeping them up at night. And to me, that's a much deeper sales approach, right? And so when when I heard that term, I was I was thinking about that. That is a very deep way to approach the sales conversation. Think about the the follow-on work we did uh, around the challenger customer where we're looking about – we're looking at – not just how do you find a champion, but of all the people you could engage, and we found there's seven different types of stakeholders, which one do the star performers go after? They go in with a much deeper perspective on who the people are inside the customer organization that can get these big, broad, dysfunctional buying committees to agree to move forward on a transformational purchase. And so they're, they go to a much deeper level in terms of qualifying those, not just the organization and the opportunity, but the individuals they're working with. 
Yeah, and for for context here, um, your longest tenure in your career was at CEB, which is now Gartner, and you spent 4,500 days, 36,000 hours, over 18 years in various sales and revenue-related roles. So what can you tell us about the role, you know, technology has played in equipping sales professionals? And, you know, has it kind of, you know, has the technology as a crutch gotten out of hand? What's your thinking on that? That's a great question as well. I think it's, I come to um, the plate with the great questions, man. I'm not playing games here. Every platform out there designed to help salespeople be more productive and effective can be either a force for good or a force for evil. And I think, you know, one person's spam cannon can be another person's tool for really understanding the customer, really exploring the connections and relationships, understanding buyer intent, and really tailoring that outreach in a way that it just grabs the attention of the customer and creates the beginning of a, a really fruitful conversation. But it's the same platform, right? It's the way it's used, it's the way it's deployed. Now, I think we're in a we're in this really exciting time right now with um, uh, regenerative AI and, and ChatGPT and all this stuff. And I mean, it's just like you check the news and it's like, what, I, what I'm about to say is probably old news already, but I would tell you, like, I look at this stuff and I'm like, holy smokes, this is, we are suddenly able to automate a lot of the things that salespeople the great salespeople would make time for average performers knew they should do it, but they'd kind of fall by the wayside. So take, for example, um, pre-call prep, right? Uh, doing research on your prospect before you reach out. So you don't send that, that generic outreach that they get, you know, their LinkedIn, in, their email box is full of, but you get that personalized, tailored, I understand your company, what you're trying to accomplish. And here's how I think we can help you outreach that grabs your attention, that gets you to response. But you think about platforms like LinkedIn and you think about the power of like, uh, regenerative AI now to be able to actually take a lot of that publicly available information and serve it up to the to the salesperson so that they can be freed up to really do that that tailoring piece that machines can't yet do right so clearly you think that tools like generative AI are going to change the sales process and you think that's going to happen um, you know in a dramatic fashion or is it going to take some time honestly if you'd asked me last year I'd say well I think it's a ways away. And now I'm like, every time I open the news, I'm like, oh my goodness, it it like passed the MCATs. It it got, you know, passed the bar exam. It's like, you know, arguing before the Supreme Court. It's like, now, granted, we're all gonna be working for the machines one day, but that but let's until we get to that point. <laughs> Again, if you'd asked me middle of last year, I would said, Well, you know, maybe the next 10, 15 years. You asked me today, and I'm like, I don't know. Like maybe the next few weeks we could see dramatic changes to the way that we evaluate opportunities, the way we forecast, the way we prep for calls, the way we think about uh, crafting outreach emails or or emails or you know other uh, the way we um, we might think about our pitch decks. Let's talk about the economy. It's creating a lot of challenges for B two B sales environments and businesses, obviously. So, what advice would you give companies and leaders in particular looking to obtain businesses, new business, but also renewals? In this time of you know macroeconomic challenges, what's your what's your best thinking there? The good news is, you know, again, if you'd asked me middle of last year or early last year, I'd say, boy, we seem to be heading towards the rocks, right? This is not going to be great. And now there seems to be some debate about it, which I think, I know that it's been a tough time for many folks individually, for a lot of companies and a lot of segments out there. And so I don't mean to make light of that at all. However, the fact that we're even talking about right now. Is it going to be a recession? Is it maybe going to be a mild recession? Is, I think, an improvement in the conversation. That being said, for sales leaders and for salespeople trying to, to win customer business, trying to renew accounts, trying to upsell, cross-sell, and expand relationships, 
I think understanding that the again the thing that cuts through the noise and this is we've we've seen this over decade like more than decades worth of research around challenger are those unique insights and the goal of those insights cannot be to get the customer to think differently about me and my solution it's got to be to get the customer to think differently about themselves and when we do that it has the the positive effect, uh, knock-on effect of therefore the customer now sees us in a different light. We're no longer a commodity. We're in a category of one because we are equipped to solve a problem that they didn't even know about. So that continues to be the coin of the realm, I think, in terms of engagement and and um, grabbing the attention of those buyers. Then when we think about all of those deals that are, you know, customers are getting cold feet, they're delaying decisions. I think we've got to be ruthlessly efficient with our time right now in sales. We've got to aggressively disqualify, especially, and think not just about the client's ability to buy, but think about their ability to decide. And this is a new lens, right? Uh, thinking about their level of indecision. So look, I've been at LinkedIn 13 years next month. I've been using Sales Navigator and since it existed in every other tool under the sun. But there's a lot of sales teams right now that they're doing more with less. So how can sales leaders and CROs help teams maintain their efficiency and productivity under these kind of conditions we're in? There certainly are a lot of teams that are rationalizing headcount, right? They're going to fewer people, but the numbers the same or bigger. Um, and so I actually think in, in this, is a, this is a great opportunity for leveraging a lot of that technology that I think a lot of organizations have, have built up their sales tech stack, but haven't gotten full value out of their solutions, whether it's Navigator or it's, it's anything else in the sales tech stack. And this is a time to really um, you know, look very carefully at what's delivering the value and then just like tripling down on those things. Because if you have fewer people trying to hit a bigger number, by definition, those people need every every element of support possible to make them as productive as possible. High performers are absolutely ruthless when it comes to disqualifying bad fit opportunities and hopelessly indecisive customers. And uh, and they will, their funnel, if you tilt it on its side and you did a graphical representation of opportunity count by stage, it doesn't look like that classic funnel shape, right? That sideways kind of pyramid. It looks like a nail. There's as many opportunities in the first stage but then it gets very whittled down very quickly, and they are focusing their attention on those opportunities that they have aggressively qualified into the pipeline, and the ones, and they're leaving out the ones they've aggressively disqualified. That is a key to major wins in productivity, and it's it's our job as sales managers and sales leaders to help our people make those tough calls. Yeah, sure. So really, where I was going is, um, <clears throat> you know, a deep sales culture. What does it take for a CRO or a sales leader to actually create a deep sales culture? If we as leaders send the message that we are running a sales machine where it's all about numbers and opportunities and pipeline velocity and deal size, and and we care a lot less about how we get there, you know, don't be surprised when we leave a lot of customers in our wake, right? We leave a lot of disgruntled, unhappy, disengaged, lost deals that will never become customers because of the way they were treated and that that machine they were run through. If we send the message that, look, like I, the, the advice I always get in golf, which I, I have not yet absorbed, is you're going to hit it straighter and farther if you just don't try as hard, right? <laughs> Swing easier. And I think my message is not to tr not try as hard, but focus instead of like trying to hit that big deal and and um, land, you know, climb up the stack rankings and win that loose trophy and make it to President's Club or Chairman's Club. Focus instead on helping your customer make the best decision possible. And for some of those customers, that is going to be don't buy your product. And that's painful to say, but the people who win the most deals, the highest performers, 
are incredibly confident in the fact that they're going to be honest with their customer about what works and what doesn't. They have no problem steering the customer to their competitor if the competitor is a better fit for what the customer is looking for. They have no problem telling the customer, you know what? The million-dollar solution, as much as I like to sell it to you, is not a good spend of your resources. Let's start smaller, right? You, this is all you need. They know that when they do that stuff, the big checks, the Lucite trophies, and the trips to Cancun follow, but that's, a, that's an outcome. The second thing, and I think this one might be a little bit surprising for folks, is frontline manager coaching. I think if you look at any any initiative, whether it's rolling out Challenger, whether it's taking more of a deep sales approach and trying to instill that in the organization, whether it's trying to teach people how to jolt customers out of indecision, as we talk about in the latest book, that stuff only happens when frontline managers understand uh, what is world-class sales coaching. And here's a hint. It's not deal inspection. It's not performance. Uh, is, it, is it getting on every one of my checking. phone calls and, and analyzing no. them? <laughs> So, but you know, that, that, that stuff has a a time and a place and it's part of being a sales manager, but it is not coaching. Coaching is about working with your salespeople in a tailored, personalized way, in a dynamic way. You never graduate from coaching. It's about working with your people on the behaviors known to drive success. And it happens close to opportunities. It happens close to the work, not away in a, you know, a classroom. It's not one size fits all. And I think most sales managers undervalue the impact that great coaching can have, not just on sales performance and productivity, but on engagement and discretionary effort mm-hmm. on their team. Those people who have phenomenal coaches as managers, these people stay longer, they work harder, they hit high, you know, higher levels of performance. Where do people find you online? Sure. Uh, well, we're talking about the Jolt Effect, so folks can certainly um, check me uh, check out that book at JoltEffect.com. We got a lot of free resources, coaching tools, and scorecards and things people can download, and then a lot more information about the book and and other support we offer. Um, our company is DCM Insights, so if you can check us out at DCM uh, DCMInsights.com, and then of course uh, look me up on LinkedIn. <laughs> I am very active on LinkedIn. I don't think I'm a, may not be as active as uh, Rob or Alyssa are, but um, uh, but uh, I'm learning. I'm You're trying. On there. And, uh, You're getting I it love- done, and um, <laughs> everyone should give you a follow, and then that'll pr- pressure you to put more of your your good stuff in there. Matt, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate you jumping on the details podcast, man. No, it's great, and thanks for what you guys do. Um, I think it's uh, you guys are, are really propelling all of us forward to to better performance. And I, again, I love the deep sales concept. It it pushed my thinking, and it and it gave me a different lens to think about. Thank you, appreciate it. Listen, we could have riffed for hours, but here are some of the key themes from my discussion with Matt. First, customers are becoming more indecisive. We have to battle not only the status quo of the customer, but their FOMU as well, their fear of messing up. Second, generative AI tools, they will change the sales process, but it's not your enemy. And lastly, the top sales leaders, they're building deep sales cultures, and they're doing it by focusing less on lucite trophies and more on investing time to coach and build an army of top performers. That's all for now, folks. Keep your sales deep and we'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the Deep Sales Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and share. See you on our next episode. Or for more Deep Sales Insights in the meantime, check out the LinkedIn Sales Blog. As always, happy selling.